Chapter thirty three of the Wife of the Secretary of State. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Wife of the Secretary of State by Ella Middleton Tybout. Chapter thirty three. After strong emotion of any kind comes reaction. Estelle Redmond found herself unable to lift her head from the pillow the morning following the death of Colonel St. John. She was overcome by a lassitude impossible to ignore, and could only lie still with closed eyes and throbbing temples. Again and again she reviewed the events of the preceding night. Was it possible it was all over, and she herself safe at home, with no sort of Damocles suspended over her head, no sickening horror of what the next minute might disclose? The secretary entered softly and bent over her with a few murmured words of anxious sympathy. She grasped his hand in both of hers, laying her face against it and drawing much comfort from his presence. "'Stay with me,' she said. "'Oh, John, never, never let me out of your sight again!' He laughed and gently pressed his lips to her hot forehead. How tired you would get of the old watchdog, dearest. Lie still and rest. All this trouble and excitement has been too much for you, as I feared. You must countermand your engagements for the day, and when I get home from the department we will spend a long, quiet evening together, and have our dinner served in your sitting-room, so you need not even trouble to dress. I must go now. Are you sure it is only a headache? The day had worn on slowly, and gradually the throbbing in her temples had subsided and the lassitude been replaced by a sense of security and great peace. She had stood on the brink of an abyss, her feet had even touched the crumbling earth about the edges, then suddenly the hand relentlessly pushing her forward had thrust her back. "'Sometimes,' murmured Estelle, "'sometimes God in heaven does hear prayers from earth.' In the afternoon she went into her sitting-room and lay upon the couch, very white and still, with shining eyes and loosely clasped hands. Upon her desk a vase of roses filled the room with their perfume, lifting their great heads proudly, but Mrs. Redmond's eyes clouded when she observed them, and she touched the bell beside her. "'Take them away,' she said impatiently when Josephine appeared. "'I hate red roses.' and the maid had carried them off, greatly wondering. To her presently came Isabel Bird, who hung affectionately over her with solicitous inquiries and many sympathetic touches of her brow and hair, Isabel, who laughingly begged to be allowed to stay for dinner. "'Because, Estelle, I am cross today and don't want to go anywhere tonight, so if you'll keep me just as I am—' and Mrs. Redmond, with a little sigh for the tete-a-tete -tete dinner and long quiet evening, had put her arm about the girl and urged her to remain. "'I'll telephone father to come for me,' remarked Isabel, removing her hat with alacrity. "'He can take Aunt Mary to the Lawtons and then slip off here. He'll like that, I know.' "'The Lawtons,' said Mrs. Redmond, raising herself on her elbow. "'The ball of the season!' "'Why, Isabel!' The color rose on Isabel's cheeks, and she turned away towards the fire. "'I don't want to go,' she said shortly. "'Mr. Rivers will be there, and I don't want to meet him.' 
"'Mr. Rivers,' said Estelle thoughtfully, "'Mr. Rivers, oh!' Quite suddenly she remembered the ring Lyndhurst had found on the floor of the octagon house, and given her for safe-keeping, and which she had forgotten in the impending crisis of her own affairs. She said nothing to the girl, however, merely telling her to bring her low chair close to the couch and be comfortable. "'Estelle,' said Isabel, as she obeyed, "'you look as though you had been ill for weeks, with all your vitality wrung out of you. It troubles me to see you.' "'I have not been myself,' returned the older woman quietly. "'For some time, dear, many, many weeks, it seems to me. But I'm going to get well. Just wait and see.' And now, Isabel, what shall we talk about? The girl laid her face on the pillow beside her friend and slipped her hand shyly into Mrs. Redmond's. Tell me about Mr. Lee, Estelle, she whispered. All about finding him in everything. I want to know. The secretary enjoyed the dainty little dinner served at the round table in Mrs. Redmond's sitting-room with his wife on one hand and Isabel Bird on the other. He noted with pleasure the light which had returned to Estelle's eyes, and a spontaneity in her laugh which had long been lacking to his sensitive ears, and had responded delightedly to her evident desire to be amused, even resigning himself to eating much more than he wanted that she might be satisfied, for the secretary's appetite had failed perceptibly of late. Tonight, however, Estelle and Isabel had suggested that no servant be in attendance, and had themselves selected what he should eat, merely stipulating as a return for this attention that he consume it all. Isabel had demanded a chafing-dish, boasting of her success in the preparation of a certain entree, and the secretary had become absorbed in the concoction of a salad he had known in France, the result of which was beyond reproach. In short, the dinner was a great success, and if Mrs. Redmond ate little herself, she managed to conceal the fact by lively contributions to the conversation, and frequent suggestions and criticisms during the preparation of the salad and entree. If her eyes sometimes filled suddenly and threatened to overflow, they were happy tears and hurt no one, and if she now and then laid her hand on her husband's with an involuntary tightening of the fingers, only the secretary knew it, and he invariably returned the pressure just by way of showing her he understood. "'It has been the nicest dinner I ever had!' exclaimed Isabel at its conclusion. "'How I wish father had been with us!' So the secretary retired to the library to smoke his cigar, feeling a strange lightening of the load which seemed to have settled upon him of late and dismissed affairs of state as much as possible from his thoughts, with the optimistic reflection that things might work out right after all, while upstairs Mrs. Redmond and Isabel drew their chairs before the fire and resumed the subject which had engrossed them before dinner. Mrs. Redmond's hand lay on the girl's bright hair, and she touched it tenderly now and then as she talked. Once she paused, and Isabel raised her head impetuously. "'Go on, Estelle,' she said breathlessly. "'Go on. In his delirium he repeated one name constantly, the nurse said. What was it?' Mrs. Redmond told her, and the gold-crowned head was hidden on her friend's lap. 
Senator Byrd, coming in search of his daughter, and the Honorable Joshua Grimes, coming in search of any information he could glean regarding David Lee, met on the doorstep and were taken into the library, where the secretary greeted them warmly and provided them with chairs and cigars. "'Only I stipulate,' he said, laughing, "'that we don't touch on public matters. Lee is out of danger, but still very weak. Oh, yes, Grimes, he is here.' had you not heard? Then I may take the entire credit of your visit to myself? That is good. Isabel is upstairs, Bird, she dined with us in famille, and we had an uncommonly good time. Mrs. Redmond is a little under the weather, but I think she will see you both, and later we will join them. What is it, James? James approached and said something in a low tone, and the secretary excused himself and withdrew. He was absent some time, and the two men drew their chairs together and entered into a discussion upon the impending crisis. Mr. Grimes related the story of his luncheon with the member from Virginia, and his deduction therefrom, and Senator Byrd frowned impatiently. "'Now, Byrd,' said the member from South Dakota impressively, "'I've been your friend this many a year, and you used to place some confidence in my judgment.' "'And do still.' interrupted Senator Byrd, smiling. "'Well, I'm going to try your temper, I reckon, but I shan't be happy till I free my mind. I think Rivers is playing a snide game, for all his nicely parted hair and well-creased trousers, and I wish his engagement with Isabel was off.' The Senator hesitated a moment. "'I hardly know what to think,' he said slowly. "'Rivers has surprised me lately.' It is not like him to show his hand so plainly unless he is certain of the game. He means to be president, you know, and would like the portfolio of state as a stepping-stone, but I hardly agree in your opinion. You are not exactly an unbiased judge, you know. As to his engagement with Isabel, well, it is off, and, so far as I know, it won't be renewed. She will not allow his name mentioned. A fine girl! cried the corpulent member with much satisfaction, an uncommonly fine girl of great good judgment. The return of the secretary prevented further discussion of the subject. He held in his hand an envelope, and his eyes shone with repressed excitement. Gentlemen, he said abruptly, you are, I know, both aware that the Roostchuk papers are missing. Yes, said Senator Byrd. Tonight, continued Mr. Redmond, just now, in fact, I received a message that the nurse in charge of Lee wished to speak with me. I found her in the drawing-room with a remarkably pretty and very much agitated girl, whom she introduced as her sister, and a rather peculiar-looking young fellow. This girl, with much embarrassment, related a most extraordinary story and produced this envelope. It contains the Roostchuk papers. His hearers gazed at him in mute amazement, and he continued rapidly. Moreover, these papers were brought into this house in Lee's pocket. Miss Gray, the nurse, saw them, and recognized them as a package she had seen in the possession of her sister. She took them to her to make sure, and insisted that the girl bring them to me and explain how they came into her possession. She did not, of course, realize their importance, but she knew they were official papers which should be returned to the department." It is the most extraordinary thing I ever heard of. I cannot doubt the sincerity of the girl, 
but I do not know what to think of the man. I should like you to hear her story, as it bears a grave implication, and I should be glad of your advice. By all means, said Senator Byrd gravely, let us hear it. She is very young, said the secretary, and very frightened, poor child. I think, Byrd, she can hardly be as old as Isabel. He went into the drawing-room and returned at once, preceding Christine and Mr. Marks, the former evidently suppressing an inclination to run away, the latter bearing an air of superior protest against the entire proceedings. "'Miss Gray,' said the secretary gently, drawing forward a chair for her, "'these are friends of mine, Senator Byrd and Mr. Grimes, and I should like them to know the story you just told me. Mr. Marks, gentlemen.' Mr. Marks looked as though he would have repudiated his name had that been possible, and, sitting down upon the extreme edge of a chair, fixed his eyes upon the ceiling. "'Mr. Marks,' said the secretary, suppressing a smile, "'went to call upon Miss Gray one stormy evening in December, and very naturally desired to take her some flowers. I wish you would remember the date, Miss Gray.' Christine shook her head helplessly, Dates were not her strong point. Mr. Marks, however, ceased his contemplation of the ceiling long enough to produce a memorandum book, and turned over its pages with accustomed fingers. Under date of December 2nd, he said briefly, I find three entries as follows. Changed laundress, purchased white hyacinths, fifty cents, called upon Miss Gray. I should judge, therefore, that the date was December 2nd. "'Now, Miss Gray,' said Mr. Redmond, "'please tell what followed.' And Christine unwillingly related how Mr. Marks had forgotten to deliver the flowers, and they had been sent to her room later, accompanied by a package she did not open. "'You see,' she said helplessly, "'I thought they were things he wanted me to read, and I did not feel interested in them. Mr. Marks is highly scientific, and reads all sorts of articles with long words I don't understand, for I'm very ignorant. So I put the bundle in my bureau drawer, meaning to open it some time, and forgot it. I'm, I'm awfully sorry. The senator recognized that tears were not far from the girl's voice, and felt an inclination to say that it was of no consequence. Suppose it were Isabel. Mr. Grimes, however, was anxious to get at the root of the matter. "'Young man,' he said abruptly, "'kindly explain how those papers came into your possession.' "'I do not know,' said Mr. Marks blandly. "'The evening was inclement, and in passing through Lafayette Park my hat was forcibly removed from my head by the strength of the wind, and I was obliged to exercise speed and ingenuity in its pursuit.' The railing surrounding the statue of Jackson arrested its flight, and I have a subconsciousness in the lower strata of my brain that when I rose to my feet I grasped something beside my hat. I know nothing more concerning the episode. "'Well, see here,' said the member from South Dakota. "'I reckon you'll have to cultivate those lower strata a bit. We want to know more about the matter.' "'Miss Gray,' interposed the secretary, forgot the package until New Year's Day, when she discovered it in her bureau drawer and opened it. She was naturally dismayed at its contents, and puzzled as to what she should do with them. It did not occur to her at the time to bring them to me. "'Well,' said Mr. Grimes impatiently, 
"'Well, young lady, what did you do with them?' "'I gave them to a friend,' she said slowly, "'who said he would return them to the State Department. I thought I was doing what was right.' "'Of course,' said Senator Byrd soothingly. "'Of course. And the friend was Mr. Lee?' "'No,' said the secretary. "'The friend was Mr. Rivers.' Mr. Grimes indulged in a long whistle, and Christine turned a lively and painful scarlet even to the tips of her ears. "'Mr. Rivers,' said the secretary gently, "'knew Miss Gray's father. He was one of his constituents.' "'But,' said Senator Byrd, after a silence of some minutes, "'how did the nurse recognize the papers in Mr. Lee's pocket as the ones in her sister's possession if they had never been opened?' "'By a peculiar perfume her sister uses,' returned the secretary. "'Yes,' said Christine, feeling it was incumbent upon her to speak. "'The minute Molly smelled the envelope, she knew it was the one Mr. Marks gave me.' "'I am sure,' interposed Mr. Marks, in a tone of offended dignity, "'my person is permeated by no odour which exudes therefrom and penetrates inanimate objects.' "'No!' cried Christine hysterically. "'But mine is!' Then, to the surprise and consternation of the four men, she hid her face in her hands and began to cry, and Mr. Redmond hastily left the room. "'Molly!' she sobbed. "'I want Molly!' "'She wants Molly,' said Mr. Grimes, as though Molly were a stick of candy. "'Yes, of course, Bird, she wants Molly.' Senator Byrd laid his hand on her shoulder and spoke quietly. He understood the ways of girls. "'Don't cry, my dear,' he said gently. "'You have told us everything we want to know, and we are very much obliged to you. Is Molly your sister? I think Mr. Redmond has gone to fetch her. Of course you are tired and nervous. It has been quite an ordeal, has it not?' My daughter is about your age, and I hardly think she could have gone through it as bravely as you. But Christine continued to sob until the return of the secretary, accompanied by her sister, who took her away, while the three men turned their attention to the unhappy Marks, who passed a most miserable hour, but succeeded in convincing them he knew absolutely nothing more than he had related. When Mr. Grimes let himself into the hall of his house on Massachusetts Avenue, he executed a momentary pas seul before hanging up his coat. "'Rivers, my friend,' he remarked politely, "'I agree with you that all evidence in the Roostchuk case should be placed in the hands of the President.' Late that evening the secretary sat in Mrs. Redmond's dressing-room and told her the story of the recovered papers— he even drew them from his pocket and spread them out before her one by one, gazing at them with much of the devouring expression a mother bestows on a lost child. And she listened with flushed cheeks and glistening eyes, following the narrative closely with little gasps of astonishment. "'I'm glad,' she said. "'Oh, so glad, John!' "'I should be better satisfied,' he said, were it not for the complication about rivers.' Of course the papers changed hands again, but it's a strange case. Mrs. Redmond hesitated. I think, dear, she replied, that Mr. Rivers visited the Octagon House himself. Then she told him the history of Isabel's ring, and added that she had that evening returned it to the girl, 
who had announced her intention of giving it to her father to do with as he thought best. The secretary sat a long time in silence, his wife's hand in his. "'Estelle,' he said at last, "'you remember the old man you asked me to appoint as watchman, Saunders, I think his name was?' The dark lashes quivered slightly. "'Yes, dear,' she said. "'What of him?' "'He died last night,' said the secretary. "'Suicide, they think, and Estelle.' "'Well, dear?' "'He was discovered by the police in the Octagon House when they searched it this morning. It seems he was janitor there. I believe he might have thrown some light on the subject of Mr. Lee if we had only known.' I gave directions that he be decently buried at my expense, as he was an employee of the department, but he had considerable money about him. Curious, wasn't it? End of chapter 33